polypharmacy, love it or hate it. Whichever side of the line you stand on, these are the medications you don't want to combine. Welcome to the Carlite Psychiatry Podcast, keeping psychiatry honest since 2003. I'm Chris Aiken, the editor-in-chief and the author of the Depression and Bipolar Workbook. And I'm Kelly Newsom, a Psych NP and a dedicated reader of every issue. The green reed which bends in the wind is stronger than the mighty oak that breaks in the storm, said the Chinese philosopher Confucius some 2,500 years ago. And it's also good advice for the budding psychopharmacologist. Study the practice guidelines, learn the evidence base, but your patients will come in with very different ideas about where their treatment should go. And you need to meet them where they're at. To bend with the wind. Unless they're asking you to break one of the ten psychopharm commandments. Granite does not bend with the wind, but it lays a firm foundation that will keep your patients safe. Today, we're on commandment number eight. Avoid unwise combinations of meds. But first, Kelly, can you read out the previous seven? One, do not worsen mental illness with psych meds. We're talking about benzodiazepines and opioid use disorders, psychostimulants and psychosis, and antidepressants during mania. Two, avoid stopping meds abruptly, particularly benzodiazepines, serotonergic antidepressants, and lithium. Three, Stop lamotrigine if any rash develops in the first three months of treatment with it. Four, watch out for lithium toxicity by staying on top of drug interactions, dehydration, and your patient's age and renal function. Five, do not give benzodiazepines to patients who have an elevated risk of opioid overdose deaths. Benzos increase the overdose risk fourfold. Rewind to our September-November 2022 episodes for more details on the first five. And we picked up in March with the rest. Six, honor thy MAOI interactions. Seven, controlled substances shall be controlled by you. Eight, avoid unwise medication combinations. Okay, we started with number eight last week, and we kind of put the cart before the horse talking about how to reduce polypharmacy before singling out the medication combinations that keep us up at night. That's what today's episode is about. But first, a preview of the CME quiz. Click on the link in the show notes to get CME for this episode. Although benzodiazepines are best avoided with psychostimulants, which benzo has the lowest risk of causing substance misuse when taken with a stimulant? A. Oxazepam B. Clonazepam C. Lorazepam D. Quazepam Now, we'll walk you through the top combinations to avoid. Combination number one, benzos with stimulants. Avoiding this combination will protect your patients and your license. In 2018, around 1 in 15 patients who were prescribed a benzodiazepine were also prescribed a stimulant, 
and it's only increased since then, particularly the combination of Xanax and Adderall. The DEA has alerted pharmacists and physicians that it is watching out for excess use of benzos and stimulants, particularly in patients who take opioids as well. Most surveys find excessive polypharmacy in areas where doctors are in short supply, like the southeast, parts of Texas, and the northwest. But a recent study found the Xanax-Adderall combination followed the money. High net worth private pay clients were more likely to get it than lower income Medicaid patients. Make what you will of that. But both medications activate the reward center. And the Epicurean philosophers warned us long ago about the dangers of revving up the hedonic drive all day long. Modern research bears that out. Benzos and stimulants have synergistic neurotoxic effects, meaning that high doses of either med are neurotoxic, that neurotoxicity more than doubles when the two are taken together. The two also cancel each other out, but not in the sense of uppers and downers. The sedative effects of benzos tend to wear off after the first two weeks. More worrisome is their cognitive effects. A decade of benzo use impairs cognition with the same effect size that stimulants improve it, a large one, around 0.8. When I read the list of cognitive domains that were affected, one struck out in particular problems with problem-solving ability. Isn't that why we give benzos in the first place? To help patients who get overly stressed in the face of everyday problems? Here's another danger that is poorly understood, but duly noted by the DMV. The combination of benzos and stimulants led to more traffic accidents than any other recreational drug. This includes people with recreational use as well as prescribed use. We're not sure why, but it appears worse with amphetamines than methylphenidate. Something about that dopaminergic confidence boost and that coordination-impairing benzo is just not good for highway safety. If you do encounter patients on the benzo-stimulant combination and need to taper them, consider changing the medications first. Methylphenidate is overall less risky than the amphetamines, and the modafinils are safer still. Modafinils like Provigil and Nuvigil actually have neuroprotective effects. Among the benzos, oxazepam serax is the safest with this combination. Oxazepam has the lowest risk of abuse, the lowest risk of overdose, and we found one interesting study where oxazepam actually lowered the risk of stimulant overuse. In contrast, most benzos made people more likely to take more stimulants in these kind of experimental designs. And it's something about a unique effect of oxazepam in the brain that might do this. But anyway, when your patient will bear with it, best to switch to oxazepam. This drug, though, takes 30 to 60 minutes to kick in, while most benzos take 20 minutes to kick in. So 
it's a lot less rewarding, and you got to prepare your patient for the switch. You don't always have to take it away. A benzo-stimulant combo might be appropriate to continue when the patient has legit disorders for which the two are FDA-approved, like ADHD and panic disorder, likes evidence of abuse misuse, and uses the benzo rarely. Dr. Aiken may have said a lot of scary stuff, but consider how often your patients on Concerta have a glass of wine or more. We don't know of any studies of synergistic neurotoxicity there, but we did find this from Dr. Mark Howitt's lab at MUSC. Alcohol raises methylphenidate levels by 25 to 40%. To learn more about how to manage this dicey combo, check out our September 2022 article in the Carlisle Psychiatry Report. Two, antipsychotics with stimulants. This pairing sounds questionable on the face of it. A dopamine agonist with a dopamine blocker. A med that can cause psychosis with one that treats it. But is there any reason to combine the two? The only evidence-based rationale for combining antipsychotics and stimulants is in children with ADHD who continue to have major problems with aggression after the ADHD is treated. There, we have two small controlled trials where adding risperidone reduced aggression at a dose of 0.5 to 3.5 milligrams per day. The combination, though, is much more common than you'd expect for a risky med like risperidone with such small empiric support. In the Medicaid population, anywhere from 1 in 20 to 1 in 5 children on stimulants also take an antipsychotic. But I spoke with Josh Fetter, our child editor, and he pointed out that this is a treatment approach of last resort. Besides creating a pharmacodynamic paradox of blocking and enhancing dopamine, children are more prone to metabolic side effects on antipsychotics. And besides, Depakote and lithium both reduce aggression and have studies in ADHD and conduct disorder with fewer side effects in children than the antipsychotics. Are there studies in adults with ADHD and aggression? I'm not aware of any treatment studies with antipsychotics and stimulants in that population in adults. Most of the research is on long-term follow-up of the children, actually, looking at what happened to these children with ADHD and conduct problems when they grow up to be adults. Not surprisingly, they are at greater risk for antisocial personality disorder, criminal behavior, and alcohol use disorders, as well as depression and anxiety. One interesting thing about that research the prognosis is actually better if the child presents younger with these problems, like they might grow out of it, than if it's a teenager with these problems. Teenagers are more closer to the adult age, and they're more likely to continue to have those problems. But in any event, how to treat these problems of ADHD and aggression in adults is not very well understood. But a lot of adults with ADHD have emotional ability. They're irritable, reactive, even if they don't have aggression or criminal behavior. Would an antipsychotic help there? 
Last week, we presented a new study where the makers of Brexpiprazole looked at whether their antipsychotic could augment stimulants in adult ADHD. And we find some answers in that study. Basically, Brexpiprazole failed to make any difference in ADHD. But the study also looked at symptoms of emotional dysregulation. And surprisingly, the antipsychotic failed there as well. Now, if you read the study, it might actually look positive, like it helped the emotional dysregulation. Specifically, it says there was a statistical trend in a secondary outcome. Well, here's how to interpret that. It's like if I came home from a Yankees game and you asked who won. And I said, well, the Braves won by the main outcome. They made it more often to the home plate. But you know, the Yankees hit the ball more often. Not a lot, but a little more often. Well, we all know who won here. This wouldn't really make you think that the Yankees were the better team. And if they came with serious side effects, metabolic syndrome, tardive dyskinesia, you probably wouldn't want to use them, that is, Brexpiprazole, for a symptom like emotional liability in ADHD. Psychotherapy, or maybe omega-3 fatty acids, which have several positive controlled trials in this area, are a better option. Antipsychotics can also dampen the cognitive benefits of stimulants. These studies tested the combo in mixed populations of ADHD and healthy adults, and it doesn't look good. While stimulants made people respond faster and persist longer with boring repetitive tasks, antipsychotics like haloperidol blocked those effects. It's possible that this effect is not as strong with antipsychotics that are only partial blockers at the dopamine D2 receptor, like aripiprazole, brexpiprazole, and cariprazine. But we don't know. At least in the brexpiprazole study, it didn't make ADHD better or worse. On the other hand, pretreatment with antipsychotics do make people less likely to abuse stimulants, and they do treat stimulant-induced psychosis. Outside of ADHD, we worry about people who start a stimulant while taking antipsychotics for mania or psychosis. We're going to cover this more in a future issue of the report, but here's the bottom line. Stimulants can definitely worsen the main problem here, mania and psychosis. For a person with a psychotic disorder, even a single dose of a stimulant is dangerous. It causes psychosis 30% of the time when the patient is in remission and worsens psychosis 50 to 70% of the time during an active episode. The effect is worse at higher doses and worse for amphetamines than methylphenidates. In bipolar disorder, amphetamine is the main animal model for mania. So prescribing an amphetamine is a bit like giving haloperidol to treat Parkinson's disease. Methylphenidate, again, looks a little safer here in bipolar, but it isn't safe in bipolar 1 disorder either. There are lots of even safer ways to treat ADHD in bipolar disorder, like clonidine, which also treats mania, and we covered them in our November 2021 issue of the Carlat Report.
Antipsychotics and benzos don't exactly have a dangerous interaction, but in a lot of patients, they violate the first psychopharm commandment. Don't worsen mental illness with psychiatric meds. Our next combo pill is dangerous and should never be used together. Serotonergics and MAOIs. It's the MAOI here that matters. I mean, lots of people take two serotonergic drugs, an SSRI and lithium, or an SSRI and tramadol, without any problems. But MAOIs are much more dangerous here. The serotonin syndrome that can erupt is more common and more deadly. Check out page 145 of our textbook, Prescribing Psychotropics, for a full list of the meds you need to avoid while taking MAOIs. Then there are combinations that cause pharmacokinetic interactions, slowing down or revving up the enzymes that metabolize each other in the liver. Most of the time, the result is not a dangerous one, but if the medication that shoots to high levels has known toxic effects, beware. Clozapine and the tricyclics are classic examples. Simply adding an SSRI to a tricyclic can slow down the enzymes that metabolize these drugs. Clozapine as well, SSRIs slow down the enzymes. And high doses of tricyclics and clozapines can cause arrhythmias and seizures. I know of a case where clomipramine was started for OCD. It's not an unreasonable choice. Clomipramine is FDA approved. And the clinician even used the titration schedule that was in the PDR. But this otherwise healthy patient died of a heart attack shortly after starting clomipramine. Why? The patient was taking fluvoxamine for OCD when the clomipramine was added. And fluvoxamine significantly raises clomipramine levels. That doesn't mean that you can't ever combine the two. This combo has been tested in treatment-resistant OCD, and it did show merit, including a small placebo-controlled trial where clomipramine successfully augmented fluoxetine in OCD. But unless the SSRI is escitalopram or citalopram, which don't inhibit these enzymes, you can't use the standard dosing here. With other SSRIs, when those enzymes are inhibited, I would not go higher than 50 milligrams a day of clomipramine without checking a blood level of clomipramine for safety. The blood level should be below 450 nanograms per deciliter. Wait a minute. What about serotonin syndrome with that combo? Isn't clomipramine one of the strongest serotonergic meds out there? Yes, serotonin syndrome would be a risk with this combination, but surprisingly, clomipramine doesn't cause serotonin syndrome much more than any regular SSRI. Again, it's the MAOIs that we worry about because of their unique mechanism by blocking the MAOA enzyme that people need to break down the increased serotonin levels that an SSRI or clomipramine is going to put out. We have a list of drugs that can cause serious problems when drug interactions make their levels go too high. 
It's on page 105 of Prescribing Psychotropics. They're benzos and Z-hypnotics, tricyclics, carbamazepine, Depakote, lamotrigine when starting it, and trazodone. Although in the case of trazodone, it's a metabolite, MCPP, which can cause dysphoria, psychosis, and self-harm when its metabolism is blocked and its levels shoot too high. Lithium is also on the list, but here's a blessing. We know of no psych meds that raise lithium levels. Finally, we have three more combinations that made the honorable mention list for problematic polypharmacy. These three are not really dangerous, but they are highly questionable, like multiple antipsychotics, except when one of them is the combination of clozapine with another antipsychotic, particularly aripiprazole, Abilify. There is some evidence of benefit there. Number two is cholinesterase inhibitors like the dementia medications donepazil and galantamine when combined with a strong anticholinergic. Here, the problem is that one medication, the anticholinergic, is going to block the therapeutic action of the other, the cholinesterase inhibitor. True, psychiatrists don't really prescribe dementia medications too much, but we do prescribe a lot of anticholinergics like paroxetine, Paxil, hydroxyzine, tricyclics, and many antipsychotics in patients who might be taking these dementia medications. And these dementia medications, they're also used off-label sometimes for cognitive symptoms and schizophrenia. Not a lot of evidence there, but you will see them used. And in such cases, it's not a good idea if they are also combined with an anticholinergic antipsychotic. The last combination is something I'm really reaching out for help on, is the combination of methylphenidate and an amphetamine stimulant. I do see this in practice. Patients come to me who are taking Vyvanse, say, with a methylphenidate, either to augment it or to add extra coverage at the end of the day. Uh, these stimulants have different mechanisms. The amphetamines like Vyvanse mainly pump out dopamine out of the cell and they block the reuptake a little bit, while the methylphenidates mainly block the reuptake of this dopamine. So who knows what happens when the two are taken together? I have not found a single paper reporting on the use of the two together. So this is uncharted territory. If you're aware of any, please let us know. Ask the editor at thecarlatreport.com. And now for the study of the day, S-ketamine flashes in the pan. Janssen Pharmaceuticals, the manufacturer of S-ketamine, Spravato, just released a surprising study. Their drug, failed to separate from placebo after four weeks in a large, randomized, controlled trial in China. The company looked at whether pharmacokinetic differences in an Asian versus Caucasian population explained this problem, but it did not. However, an earlier meta-analysis of all the S-ketamine trials arrived at a similar conclusion 
finding that the benefits of this drug dampened down close to zero by day 28. And that analysis was not industry-sponsored. In the current study undertaken in China, S-ketamine did work quickly and acutely. After one day, like it's supposed to, its benefits just did not last. It tells us that we need to think hard about which of our therapies work better short-term and which of them are better suited for long-term prevention. The jury is still out here on S-ketamine, but it's looking more like a very helpful short-term medication without much long-term benefit. Get daily research updates like this by following Dr. Aiken's Twitter or LinkedIn feeds at ChrisAikenMD. Earn CME for this episode from the link in the show notes and get $30 off your first year subscription to the full journal with the promo code podcast. Your support helps us stay in the ranks of other publications that operate free of ad support like Consumer Reports, Mad Magazine, and The Medical Letter.